What's up, everybody? This is Brian here to tell you about our podcast, Bingetown TV. Our hosts include seven best friends with a love for all things television. We cover a range of genres with a focus on fantasy and sci-fi, but also dip our feet into drama, horror, comedy, and pretty much anything we think is good television. We use the traditional deep dive formula for new live shows that are released week to week, but our calling card is our Rooks and Vets and Pitchtown TV series. Rooks and Vets pairs two of our hosts that have seen a show with two of our hosts that have not seen a show. Pitchtown TV is when we have a special guest pitch us a show by having us watch the pilot and trying to convince us to watch the rest. If you're craving more content on some of your favorite TV shows, then you should listen to Bingetown TV. Find us on our website at bingetowntv.com, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever else you may find your podcast. Are you a fan of young adult novels? Have you ever wondered the stories behind the people who wrote your favorite young adult novels? Then join author Eric J. Brown and Alyssa Lube of Netflix's The Circle every other Tuesday on YAOK. Available on all podcasting apps. Woo! Hey, do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, WeKnowPodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. We're here to entertain you. We'll sing your song. Soon you'll be swaying, so come on, sing along. Hello, all you beautiful people out there. Thanks for tuning in again for another episode of Before My Time. I am your host, Gelsey Laurie, and we are here to talk about topics that we are obsessed with that happened before our time. Today, we're going to go for a little bit of a darker turn. We are diving into the Beatles through Charles Manson's eyes. So just hold on to your stomachs. This gets a little dark. When I get to the bottom, I go back to the top of the slide. I didn't want to necessarily just go and like talk about the Manson murders because we'll touch on them a little, obviously, because it's inevitable. But A, it's kind of a like classic, like, oh, another Manson murders thing. And it's just so gruesome and dark. And I hit, I don't know about you, Matt, but I had an age and I can't remember what it was like my late 20s that I used to eat this shit for breakfast, like serial killers. I used to watch Criminal Minds. Actually, the book Helter Skelter, which the district attorney, Vincent Bogliosi, wrote. I read that book twice in high school about the Manson murders and the trial. I was obsessed. And, and all of a sudden I hit an age where I'm like, it just shit got too real for me. I don't know. I I don't know why and how, and I can't deal with it. 
I think that, you know, and we'll definitely be diving into this, I guess, a little bit, but not too much in this because we're taking a slightly different angle with this, which I'm excited Mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. But like we're living in this time where like the true crime kind of falls into these two buckets. And like one bucket is like, let's focus on how we catch these people and like, you know, the, the work that gets put into it and, and investigative stuff. Mm -hmm. And then there's the other part that's almost like this voyeuristic glamorization of everything. And yeah, I think that the Manson murders have just been talked about to death, but you proposed this brilliant idea that I am very excited about. Brilliant. You, you are. Oh. That's why I asked you to do a podcast. <laughs> but Charles Manson, for those of you who don't know, was a struggling musician when he came out to Hollywood before the murders took place. And he had uh, a love of the Beatles and he scared Brian Wilson to death. And one of the mm-hmm. big things that you learn when you go through all the different Manson stuff is how weird his interpretations of song lyrics turned out to yeah. be so i love i you you pitched this idea and i absolutely love it because i only know like surface level i know the song pigs pops up and the song helter skelter and that's about all i know oh no it goes deeper yeah so we are doing the beatles through charlie's eyes and so um actually in the book helter skelter that um vincent bugliosi wrote there was a whole chapter dedicated to manson's interpretation of mainly the white album because the white album comes out when is that 68 and that is the murders happened in 69. So some of the members of the family, just in in case you don't know who Charles Manson is, he's a fucking psychotic fucktard. Let me reiterate. He was the head of a cult, which they considered the family. It was the Manson family. He got the members to commit a series of nine murders over four different locations in the summer of 69. In 1971, he was convicted of first degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder. Um, He did Passed away in prison, which is great. He I think news, was guys. did have the death sentence, but it never got carried through, and I forget w- what he died from. But didn't he um, like the world does not need him in prison. At one I don't. Point he had, it? you know, unfortunately, because things were so glamorized and romanticized, and he he kind of he became a celebrity, and so he did get a lot of fan mail, and people still That's praised so him, which is it's psychotic, it's, it's scary, icky. it's. It's icky, and he, you know, was very persuasive, obviously, with the, the members he got, and he used a lot of drugs. Some of the members would say that, you know, they would do big LSD nights, and he would dose smaller so that he could have control, and, you know, he really got them to just empty everything, and he kind of fed off of the typical teenager in the 60s running away from home to be a hippie. They're, they're lost. They don't feel like they belong, and these kids were in a very vulnerable state and he took advantage yeah. of them. Yeah. Like you said, he was a musician actually funny enough. It's not funny, but crazy. He wrote a song called cease to exist and the beach boys recorded it as a B side single called, and they renamed it never learn not to love. And that is out there, but he was uncredited. He wrote and created an album, worked on one and he was hoping the producer, Ter- Terry Melcher, who was the beach boys producer would record it. He didn't, he was like, you're a fucking psycho. And he severed his ties with him. And then he moved out of a house he was living in, which was the house on CeeLo drive. And then shortly after Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski move in, it was the summer of 69. Charles Manson believed there was going to be a big race war. That's going to break out. He believed all the black, 
black people would rise up and kill all the white people except for the Manson family. They were going to hide out in Death Valley and then they would rise up and then they would have Charles Manson to then lead them was kind of his psychotic delusion. He called this whole event Helter Skelter, which we will go in more because that is a song on the White Album. And he believed he was the resurrection of Christ. So he... Just fucking crazy. So the first set of murders was at the Tate Polanski home. It is horrible. I, again, don't really want to go too much into it, but it was – who was there? Susan Atkins, Patricia Krenwinkel, and Tex Watson – were the members of the family that went in and committed the crime. Sharon Tate, she was eight months pregnant. Abigail Folger, Wojciech Frykowski, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing your name wrong, Stephen Parent and Jay Sabring were all the victims of this horrendous crime. Linda Caspian was a member of the family. She did not actually commit any murder. She was driving and didn't know what was going on, and they didn't really tell her. They just told her to stop. She was a key witness on the stand against them, a huge part of the trial because she, I mean, basically outed them, but she did hear the screams from the house and ended up trying to run in to stop them. And um, I believe it was Tex that kind of got a hold of her and, and kept her from going inside. But the second famous part of the murder was at the La Bianca's home. It was Leno and Rosemary La Bianca and um, the same set of hooligans were there, but this time we also have Leslie Von Houten, Clem Grogan, and Charles Manson was at this murder as well. I don't believe he still, it's a weird thing, you know, he didn't actually pick up a knife and kill anyone, but he is the reason that these did. So he rightfully should have been committed and was and good. If you want to dive in more into the murders, it's it's really horrific. It's it's so tragic. It's It's probably one of the worst, you know, things, but let's go into kind of his conspiracy theory um, based around the White Album. One of the family members actually said, uh, it was Paul Watkins, said that before Helter Skelter came along, all Charlie cared about was orgies. So before his kind of cult little family, if you will, was more interested in just making music, peace, love, and he would just like sleep with all the girls and really gross. They were living at um, an old movie ranch is kind of where the family stayed and and ran amok and there were kids. I mean, it, it was weird. He was obsessed with Revelation 9 from the Bible. And he also had his interpretation of how Revelation 9 was coming to permission. So there were four angels in that. There are four beetles. Um, they said there would be, you know, a lot of locusts coming, locusts, beetles. They said there would be prophets with the faces of men, but the hair of women. Uh, beetles had long hair. And the angels were going to have breastplates of fire. And that's what he saw as the guitars were those breastplates. So that's where that kind of interpretation through him. I, I feel like I feel like it's one of those things where you hear this and it's like and people don't understand why you make fun of conspiracy theorists. But like all you have it's to do absurd. is look for the tiniest absurd connection. And you're like, and well, you it's can so make clear. It work. Yeah. I mean, you could read this and go, oh, my God, of course, it is. The Beatles were the revelation um, nine. And like, it's it's just nuts. Yeah, this whole thing is just so fucking crazy but manson thought the beatles were talking to him through his music their music like he thought they were direct messages to him and he would quote like within the family this that like he would go on these tangents this that and he most commonly would just quote the beatles in the bible like those were his two he's a wild dude i know it's just it's it's creepy a lot of this so i'm gonna go through some songs from the white album and let's see what it is so White Album starts with revolution. He thought the Beatles were in favor of a revolution and that Mason, uh, Manson should prepare himself for it. And so that was kind of like how he took that. Blackbird was a huge, you know, there's a couple, I would say Blackbird, Piggies and Helter Skelter were the most popular and most critical songs of 
him interpreting them to move forward with what he was doing. But the song Blackbird, he thought that the Beatles were urging Black people to arise and revolt against the white establishment. And that kind of led into what he called Helter Skelter. Manson was obsessed with the word rise. And so it's spoken in or sung in Blackbird. And it also comes up in Revolution 9, which we'll talk about. You can kind of hear someone saying rise. And so he would always be like, it's the rise, it's the rise. And that was another like key word that he honed in on. He did have a quote. I don't know if this was at the trial he said this or when Charles Manson said this, but he said, these kids listen to the music and pick up the messages. It's subliminal. It's not my music. I hear what it relates. It says rise. It says kill. Why blame me? I didn't write the music. So that kind of shows you where he, where his brain what, is, where he's just where like, his hey, brain just is. told me to do. And, yeah. and weirdly, it's like, like justified to him. It's so justified. So here's the, the Matt Kelly event portion of this, though, is that I love that when it's Charles Manson saying this about the Beatles, we're like, oh, how, like the judge and jury are just like, oh, crazy Charles. But like if a kid who's listening to some Metallica kills somebody it's immediately like, well, these musicians need to be held accountable for their right. song lyrics. I, yeah, it's true. It's like, it, this definitely like comes to light, and like you said, even like with conspiracy theories or people taking things through music, it's kind of gives light to like, okay, what's the real problem here? Drugs, kids, don't do drugs. I think this is where I used to have the fascination and and I think a lot of people do is the psychology behind criminal minds was my favorite show, but it's that, um, I I do think his brain was wired differently. That's, that's the thing. Like, you know, some people are born with, I mean, and that's still mental awareness and and health and whatnot to, to be aware of that. I mean, he was in and out of jail from an early age. I I think that that's the obsession with true crime in general, right? Like I'm not a musician, but I can imagine, I can put myself in the mind, in the head space of someone who wants to drop everything and pick up a guitar and go on the road. Oh, you know what I, was I mean? Like, like, where's this going? <laughs> you, like, like you yeah. can put yourself in the mind space of a lot of things, but Except I can't. When it comes to this. No. Yeah, I can't put my head in that no. mind space. So you become like obsessed with trying to figure out like what is what, what is wired tip. differently up there. Yeah, yeah. I that's what always kind of got me is, and I think it's because we can't relate at all. Like I can't yeah. even fathom, and so it's just so like <gasps> what. But one of the main members of the family, Susan Atkins, who was present at both murders, and she was probably like, if you look at her, I think it's her mugshot, or she has this one. You can Google image it, and it's just a straight on like it's you. Her eyes like pierce through your soul. She is so fucking creepy and she was like one of his go-to girls um he renamed her as like a nickname sadie Mae glutz and this was before the white album got released and then there was a song called sexy sadie on the white album so he was like oh this is about you and i didn't find it this time but i think i remember when i read helter skelter he kind of used it to like scare her because the lyrics are, you know, like sexy Sadie, look what you've done. You've made a fool of everyone kind of thing. That's not the right melody. (laughs) Sorry, Beatles. But you know, like, it's like, look what you've done. And it's kind of like, has this guilt, like, and he kind of used that against her and like, they knew, they knew I called you Sadie and, you know, and this was in his like controlling manipulative freak. But that was that. Um, There is a song called piggies on the white album. And Manson thought that um, interpreted as the piggies were the members of the establishment and the establishment needs a damn good whacking. Cause there is a quote in that line where they said, what do you needs a damn good whacking? And it's kind of a fun zany song that, and it was a political 
somewhat of a political song from the Beatles. Like, I'll, I'll give him that. But he just took it too fucking far. Yeah. And some members said that he quoted that line a lot about how they needed a, a damn good whacking. That was another thing he said a lot. The song also, and this is where we're going to get a little disturbing, folks. So I apologize if things are too much. Maybe close your ears for five seconds. Um, this song refers to Knives and Forks and um, the LaBianca murder. Rosemary was stabbed with 41 knife wounds and Leno was um, had 12 knife wounds and seven fork wounds. And on the wall with blood, they wrote death to pigs. Oof. Yeah, not good. They also, at the La Bianca's, printed on the fridge, Helter Skelter, which is our next song. So this is where just, yeah, it's that that extra gruesome level where it, it, I, I can't even. Mm. Anyways, Helter Skelter. So he thought it was, you know, a race war and he called it Helter Skelter. Just for some context here, Helter Skelter, the song is about a slide at a park. It's about going down. When I get to the bottom, I go back to the top of the slide where I stop and I go for a ride. So we're, yeah, it's it's a, literally about like a little park slide that you can get. And the Beatles wrote, they were inspired I, by the Who. They just were pushing the loud. Like that's what the song's about. Well, I was going to say, I think one <laughs> of the, the other big things that you have to think about when it comes to the White Album is that like it is – easily the most abstract lyrically of any Beatles record. Like, Oh yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like versus like their early stuff was very like cliche four straight, four chord love songs. And then like their later part of their career, you're getting stuff like long and winding road and let it be that are Mm -hmm. kind of like, they're a little symbolic, but you, you kind of get the message. Mm -hmm. This is like, Right in that peak psychedelic. Yeah, it was once they came out with uh, Sgt. Pepper's. Yeah. A little bit. Abbey Road has a bit of both. But this album, there's really not any, like, I'm looking at the track list and. This was very experimental. Yeah, there's not a lot of songs that, like, you're just like, oh, this is a, this song is about this definitively. You know what I mean? Like well, they're, some they're, are, and I'm, I'm going to get into a few of like yeah. the more charming love songs that you're like, oh, that's just like a sweet song, a little ballad. But yeah, Helter Skelter's a little, I think they were literally just trying to like see how loud they can play their guitars and scream. And that's exactly. the classic song he finishes and goes, I got blisters on my fingers in the, in the <laughs> recording because he's played so hard. I think I forget how many guitar strings they like snapped during recording the song. But um, one of the members of the family, Brooks Poston, said that Mason told the family on New Year's Eve of 1968, and I quote, are you hep to what the Beatles are saying? Helter Skelter is coming down. The Beatles are telling it like it is. So this song and this core idea, I mean, this was the theme. It was, we are doing this because of Helter Skelter. And he even, I believe, told the family like, Helter Skelter needs to start like the night that they went and did the first murder. He even said like, it's time for Helter Skelter. And he also believed that though it was going to be a giant race war that they were telling Charles Manson that he needs to start it. Like he needs to show the African-American population that it's time or how to kill the white man or like, and so he felt like it was his responsibility to get this race war started and then flee, hide out and then come back and be like, I'm Jesus. I'm here to save us. What's up, everybody? This is Brian here to tell you about our podcast, Bingetown TV. Our hosts include seven best friends with a love for all things television. We cover a range of genres with a focus on fantasy and sci-fi. 
but also dip our feet into drama, horror, comedy, and pretty much anything we think is good television. We use the traditional deep dive formula for new live shows that are released week to week, but our calling card is our Rooks and Vets and Pitchtown TV series. Rooks and Vets pairs two of our hosts that have seen a show with two of our hosts that have not seen a show. Pitchtown TV is when we have a special guest pitch us a show by having us watch the pilot and trying to convince us to watch the rest. If you're craving more content on some of your favorite TV shows, then you should listen to Bingetown TV. Find us on our website at bingetowntv.com, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever else you may find your podcast. Are you a fan of young adult novels? Have you ever wondered the stories behind the people who wrote your favorite young adult novels? Then join author Eric J. Brown and Alyssa Lube of Netflix's The Circle every other Tuesday on YAOK. Available on all podcasting apps. Woo! Speaking of weird and wacky, so Revolution 9 is a track. I mean, talk about just experimental. Like I don't like, I had the, um, I had a record player in my room in high school and I fucking was a Beatles fanatic in high school and I had the white album on LP. And so I would listen to it and you know, like that eerie, like when you listen to records and it has that extra yeah. kind of, you know, which is what we love about it. I do at least. Um, it's like that raw, but when you're listening to revolution nine and it's just the number nine, Number nine. Yeah, I. This number, is always my least favorite Beatles song. Piano. I, I hate it's not this a song. song. It's yeah. it's not a song even. Like I don't even think you could call. It, I think it is the eeriest fucking thing. Like just the little sounds. It's that walking into an empty house and hearing like the kids' laughter in the distance when you're like, "There's no one here." Um, that's what this song makes me think of. It's already a weird, icky, and so. I will side antidote real quick doing the number nine, what it now makes me think of. So um, I say this all the time, but if you don't know and you're new to this podcast, I was in Cirque du Soleil for three years with the Beatles love show and something fun about that show in a lot of live theater, you have audience stage. And so it's a, a traditional theater and they'll have a lighting system, green light, red light. So the audience can't see the light being projected, but the performers can. So if you ever see like a red light, you know, shit, something's wrong. Something's not safe. There's the stage isn't right or whatever. Well, the Beatles love show is a theater in the round. So you can't be projecting lights on like that because the other side of the audience would be able to see. And yeah. it's a very dangerous show, of course, because it's a circus show and Cirque, but the stage is very, very dangerous. I mean, the mechanical elements of it, people have been very injured doing it. I'm not going to go into what happened, but I've seen it myself. It's it. You could lose your life. So to make sure that you don't know that there's a big hole behind you on a two story drop because the stage goes into a basement below so they can bring up the stage with new set pieces there'd be so many times if you didn't know that the lift had prepared or um recovered you would go to step and and then bye um so to get our attention we would have a number nine so over the show and over the music if we would be performing and you hear number nine number nine number nine that's we know something's going wrong so we're like oh there's a number nine what's wrong or like yeah. and so that's what we called like oh what was tonight's number nine about so it's it has kind of a new like meaning for me in my head anytime I'm like, oh, number nine. But um, so that's a little fun <laughs> still, behind the still scenes. Still equally so, ho- horrifying. So the song is. No, has it not is. become it, less it, horrifying. It's not, a good, it. it's not a good thing. Yeah, that's very true. It's not a good thing. But um, so, anyways, back to the crazy mind of a fucked up person. Um, Manson thought it was uh, parallel to the Bible's Revelation 9. So this is Revolution 9, Revelation 9. He's like, ha ha, see, I was right. He thought it was a prophecy of the upcoming Black White Revolution. That's yeah. how he took it. And then I know that there is 
a very like soft voice that says rise because there's all these different voices. So that's another time we see rise and that's another time Manson's like, we're going to rise. So back to talking about those like love song ballads that are pretty clear. Um, Here's a few. So there's a song, I Will. It's a really lovely little song with guitar. And, And some of the lyrics say, your song will fill the air, sing it loud so I can hear you is is a line and uh manson thought that that was them telling him to make an album so people could find him the new christ so he needed to put out music and fill the sound with air so that people knew where he was and specifically also that the beatles knew where he was there's something that i mean obviously we're talking about an insane person there's Mm -hmm. something so egotistical to think that this band whom you've never actually met is writing secret messages specifically to you and your greatness A thousand percent. Charles Manson is probably one of the most narcissistic, egotistical psychomaniacs the world has ever known. Like, he is so egotistical. And if you dive deeper into his background and kind of read about, like, how he operated. I mean, he literally thought he was, like, God. He literally thought he was Jesus. Yeah, he's just, it strikes me as that dude who just, you know, that person who ruins every party by insisting that they are the (laughs) smartest person in the room type attitude like a thousand he would like lecture the family and like you know they sit he stands and just be going off on like how much wiser and giving them his knowledge and honey pie is is the next song here and that's another cute little honey pie you are driving me crazy i'm in love but i'm lazy I'll, i'll say it right now i know this isn't tied to to the manson thing but i am very pro McCartney's silly little love songs. <laughs> like I, love, I, I absolutely adore them. They they just are the best little skip in your step. Yeah, kind of smile they really on your face. are. I, like I love a lot of his solo work, and for that reason, dude. Every time that I listen to a song that I know McCartney wrote, because it was a song that Lennon would shit on, I'm I'm like, these songs are so good, though. They're so poppy they're and so, fun. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't think there has to be a fucking message in every song. Yeah. Like a little bit. I hate this. Like, no, we have to say something in this and i feel that way with dancing too I'm, there's a whole new wave it's been around for a long time but you know everyone's trying to like oh this dance piece is about dying and the dealing with this and like trying to make a point and i'm like can you just put on some fishnets and give me a good shimmy and yeah. just entertain me like i don't need the deep shit give me the shallow fun i'm like that's what i'm here for there's a time and place to make a point let me ask you a question i know that we're probably jumping at a little ahead here but a, we're talking about the silly, poppy little songs that McCartney wrote that are scattered all over the White Album. And this song actively calls out the Bible, which seems to be like one of Manson's favorite things. Is there any Rocky connection Raccoon. between Rocky Raccoon and, yep. and Manson? There is. Yeah. Um, I'm going to put a pin in Honey Pie. We'll come back to that. <laughs> Rocky Raccoon, he saw it as a story of an African-American uprising, and it mentions Rocky's revival. So he's like, this is kind of like a, a folklore tale of this character. And he he also unfortunately connected the animal raccoon to a very terrible derogatory slang word that was used, um, which I will not say. But on a side note, I feel like we kind of have to mix in the little like happies. Let's talk about the songs and the things we like about them because this is such I love this deep, song. I love Rocky Raccoon. I like, love we're gonna take a break this song. From it. it is honestly <laughs> like one of my favorite songs on the album. It's 
it's just oh my gosh there was there was a good couple months in high school where this was probably like my all-time favorite song period i loved it so i'll tell you one of the songs that i absolutely love on the white album and maybe manson found a way to spoil this one for me as well but i fucking love oobla di oobla da and i know that that's one that some people will say is like the worst song the beatles have ever recorded but i didn't find anything of it i'm sure he maybe in one of his like lsd trip and talks around the fire <laughs> before a family orgy said something about it but the it's World just Wide a spring in your not. step type song like i just it hear is. it and i'm like hell yeah Wait, this is the moment this is the, there is a recording of the muppets doing oobla di oobla da have you heard it of course they have yes like, oobla di Oh, blah, blah, life goes on. It's great. You have to. <laughs> I was like, how am I going to tie the Muppets in here? What is your favorite White Album track? Oh, God, there's so many good ones. I know. I really, really like Happiness is a Warm Gun. It is. A, that is a very good song. I, I really genuinely love that song. And I love Rocky Raccoon a lot. I, I have to say the favorite, like if I'm really being honest, probably Blackbird. It's like the one song I could play on the guitar. It's a beautiful. I remember song. as a as a child, like my dad would always play the Beatles. And I remember being like two or three and like hearing it and loving it and kind of like, oh, it's I just it's such a beautiful song. I bounce between that and Dear Prudence. I think on that. Particular oh yeah, I album. like Dear Prudence a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could go off because I do love while my guitar gently weeps is is really a great song, but I am partial to the version that they have at the Beatles love show because they have a full orchestra behind it and they re recorded <laughs> it. It's stunning and it's slow and it's this beautiful number and it like can make you cry where this one's a little more like this kind of weird, like not fast, not slow. Okay. So we, we, we took a little, we, we happy left off on honey pie. yeah, yeah. I want to go back to honey pie. Hey, we need, look, it's it's heavy this, stuff. We needed to take a, we need to take a yeah, positive a break breeder. for a second. <laughs> okay, so Honey Pie, the lyrics say, "Sail across the Atlantic to where you belong." He thought the Beatles should come to the U.S. and join the family. And then there's lyrics, "I'm in love, but I'm lazy." That meant that the Beatles loved Jesus, aka Manson, and they believed he was in Southern California because it says the magic of your Hollywood song in the song. So he's like, "They know that we're here, but they're too lazy to go search for him." So I'm yeah. in love, but I'm lazy. They're like, "Oh, so won't you please?" come home so it's kind of also the Beatles being like come to us we don't want to come find you but we love you the family actually tried to contact the Beatles multiple times through letters telegrams not quite yet email kids we're not there (laughs) but obviously had no success because duh you can't just be like I'm gonna write a letter to a Beatle and then happiness is a warm gun was another I don't have much of an interpretation but they thought uh, Manson just thought the Beatles were telling the black man to get guns to rise up against the white man was his. So yeah, that's, those are the main interpretations of the white album. He did have some other, you know, there were some songs on Abbey road that I know that he picked into and whatnot, but these were the main, and it, it really like set him off. He already had these crazy ideas, but it, it really was the release of this album that when Helter Skelter came out that he formed this idea and it just kind of like went awry and crazy scary and sad yeah i read a couple quotes i didn't write them down but you know the beatles obviously had something to say when all these murders went down because it was um i think ringo was friends with roman polanski because he was a huge movie director which how tragic you know roman polanski was married to sharon tate she's pregnant he was in europe on a project shooting and so he's away and leaves his pregnant wife home who has some friends over and and that happens and just how how horrible yeah which I think is a reason I loved Tarantino's new Once Upon a Time in Hollywood so much. 
Yeah. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. I I really love that movie. But the ending, it just felt good to watch that ending where they get fucked up and the the murderers get caught and just annihilated. And and you watch – it, it almost made me cry when uh, I was at Margot Robbie's playing Sharon Tate and she comes out and it's like, what just happened? And, and you know, it's just, it's watching the ending that, you know, doesn't get to be and doesn't happen. And for a moment you go, Oh, that's, that's nice. Yeah. I need to rewatch that one. I, it's, oh, it's, it's so good. The, I mean, the problem with most it. of the Tarantino films is just the lengths. They're, they're very, they're so they're good. But there's, yeah. yeah. You're like, you have to be they're like, long. do I have the three hours right now? <laughs> Like, when I yeah, and this one was much more almost like a snapshot day piece, in the life of just yeah. kind of a character work. Like, there's not much of a story. There's which some people hated that, and they're like, nothing happened. And I was like, no, That's I kind like of the that. point though. Like, I like that you get to like be in Hollywood in the late '60s and just feel like I just felt like I hung out in LA all day in the late '60s and and kind of day in the life. And it was, I thought it was a really fun way to look at it but then you know people go into tarantino and they want like guts and blood and gore and everyone to say fuck a bunch of times and and this wasn't that until the end of course you get the gore yeah. and the kind of like shock factor but it um it really was only held until the very very end when when he gets to annihilate the members of the manson family before they yeah. get to the house so there was nothing i liked more than seeing susan atkins being like lit on fire yeah, like, this is great. For this is sure. What I want to see. So, are there any other remaining tracks that we need to dive into, or did you tackle pretty much the biggest? The biggest I tackled ones? the big ones. I'm sure again that there's there's some out there that say what he thought, and I I know that there was a few in Ivy Road and stuff that he did, and and I wasn't around the bonfire on the LSD trip while he was lecturing about these, so I'm I'm sure there was more, but those those were the main ones. If you are into crime, and psychology and even investigation. I highly, highly recommend the book Helter Skelter. Like I said, I read it twice when I was a teenager. And I mean, you basically are, it's a huge, huge book and it is just the deepest dive into this trial. And even when they didn't have them and how they put it together to prosecute them and it's, it's fucking fascinating. But the, the few chapters where they just go into the crime scenes do get a little intense, but outside of that, it's a lot more logistics and, and really interesting. So. That's Kelsey's recommendation for the day. And uh, yeah, I just I just want to go on the music. I don't want to go too much more into his psychotic mind because I won't sleep tonight. I think that's fair. Blackbird singing in the dead of night. Take these broken wings and learn to fly. All your life. Well, that was a heavy episode. Yeah. But it was our weird way to also talk about the Beatles, which we've kind of said we could never do a normal Beatles episode. No, you can't just talk about the Beatles. It's too like, duh. So I do want to ask you though, as we are trying to cover different ways of talking about the Beatles without just doing a Beatles episode. We talked a lot about the white album, which is actually as much as I like a lot of the songs is probably low ranking on my favorite Beatles album. Oh, totally. Me too. Yeah. Do you have a favorite Beatles album? I for sure do. Um, it kind of is a tie, I will say, but um, Revolver and Rubber Soul okay. are like that era of the Beatles where they're not quite like going for it yet, but it's getting out of the hoo phase. Um, yeah. I love that. And I it's also the ones I grew up with. I'd probably lean into Sgt. Pepper. I really just love that album from, from front to back. Mm-hmm. But both of those albums – 
fantastic calls. Rubber Soul has In My Life, which I just think is one of the prettiest songs that I've ever heard. It's so good. And I love, um, there's a song, Little Girl, Run For Your Life If You Can. You better run for your life if you can, little girl. And I have like this memory of my dad would, uh, he's a pediatrician. So sometimes on the weekends, he'd go do hospital runs to see new babies. Like, oh, you want to come do a hospital run? And if we would go, we would always listen to Rubber Soul. And so on that point, he would always drive in, you better run for your life, you can't. Every time I said little girl, he would like like poke my stomach and be like, you little girl. And I was like, oh, I'm the little Aww. girl. And so I always find it very endearing. I love when songs call the women in them little one, little girl, even though yeah. some people would think it's really like demeaning and demising. I, I, there's nothing more charming to me. And I think it's just because I have that tie where I'm like, oh, and I, I like it, but I love that song. And it, yeah, it takes me back to those little hospital runs. Oh, that's, I, I have, I, you know, my dad's never called me little girl, but <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, I loved um, Thundercats, the cartoon Thundercats. Uh-huh. And my dad had this old Jeep and before he would start it, he would have me yell, Thundercats, 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 ho! And when I yelled, ho, then he would it turn it on up. and he would, rah! Like, <laughs> like make that roar noise. I love noise. those, like, memories like Dude, that. Those, just like, do parents rule? <laughs> they really do. And if your parents are shithead, I'm really sorry. We'll be your parents. We're we're your not, we will be your parents. I'm not going to be your parent. No, I can be your friend. I'm not here to be anyone's mother. Just putting that out there on the record. So, so Gelsey, if they want us to be not their parent, but at the very minimum, their friend, where can they go to meet us? Come meet us at Instagram. Our handle is at before my time underscore podcast on Facebook. Just search before my time. We will pop up. Say hey, hi, post something you love that happened before your time. Let us know what your favorite Beatles album is and or your favorite Beatles song. I would love to know and get into that conversation because Beatles talk, I am here for it. Well, and also, you know, I got to give a little bit of a shout out to Danny that commented earlier this week about how we've inspired him to listen to the Greatest Showman soundtrack during his gym sessions because of oh my a God. previous episode. So, you know, we love hearing that stuff. Please yeah. make sure that we are aware of how we're influencing your day-to-day life. <laughs> like, Absolutely. Bye! <laughs> What's up, everybody? This is Brian here to tell you about our podcast, Bingetown TV. 
Our hosts include seven best friends with a love for all things television. We cover a range of genres with a focus on fantasy and sci-fi, but also dip our feet into drama, horror, comedy, and pretty much anything we think is good television. We use the traditional deep dive formula for new live shows that are released week to week, but our calling card is our Rooks and Vets and Pitchtown TV series. Rooks and Vets pairs two of our hosts that have seen a show with two of our hosts that have not seen a show. Pitchtown TV is when we have a special guest pitch us a show by having us watch the pilot and trying to convince us to watch the rest. If you're craving more content on some of your favorite TV shows, then you should listen to Bingetown TV. Find us on our website at bingetowntv.com, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever else you may find your podcast. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. What's up, everybody? This is Brian here to tell you about our podcast, Bingetown TV. Our hosts include seven best friends with a love for all things television. We cover a range of genres with a focus on fantasy and sci-fi, but also dip our feet into drama, horror, comedy, and pretty much anything we think is good television. We use the traditional deep dive formula for new live shows that are released week to week, but our calling card is our Rooks and Vets and Pitchtown TV series. Rooks and Vets pairs two of our hosts that have seen a show with two of our hosts that have not seen a show. Pitchtown TV is when we have a special guest pitch us a show by having us watch the pilot and trying to convince us to watch the rest. If you're craving more content on some of your favorite TV shows, then you should listen to Bingetown TV. Find us on our website at bingetowntv.com, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever else you may find your podcast. Are you a fan of young adult novels? Have you ever wondered the stories behind the people who wrote your favorite young adult novels? Then join author Eric J. Brown and Alyssa Lube of Netflix's The Circle every other Tuesday on YAOK. Available on all podcasting apps. Woo! You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 